0: This is the Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast with Lindsay Preston, episode 39, Intergenerational Trauma. Welcome to the Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast, the show for goal-getting, fear-facing women who are kicking ass by creating change. I'm your host, Lindsay Preston. I'm a wife, mom of two, and a multi-certified life coach to women all over the world. I've lived through enough in life to know that easier doesn't always equate to better. There, Miss Unstoppable. Welcome to another episode of the show. I have a treat for you today with this interview. I am interviewing Joanna Lynn, and she is somebody that I was introduced to about a year ago, listening to a random podcast with a random podcast episode. It was almost like magic how I found her. And I Was in love with her. I just thought she was so articulate and what she was talking about on that interview blew my mind. It opened up my world to a whole new way of thinking. And despite listening to many, many hours of podcast interviews on various podcasts, she's somebody that just stood out to me and I continued to follow her, continued to think more about that interview over and over again. And there was just a point when I said, no more, I need to reach out to Joanna and I need to bring her on the show to share her wisdom with my audience. And that wisdom is centered around something called intergenerational trauma. And it was something that was actually mentioned on a previous episode where we were talking about patriarchy stress disorder with Dr. Valerie Rain. That was a couple months ago at this point. And in that episode with Dr. Valerie, she was talking about how this intergenerational trauma has caused women to hold themselves back because the patriarchy has been in full force for thousands of years. And so I knew I wanted to dig deeper on this intergenerational trauma thing, and Joanna was the person to do that. So today on the show, you're going to learn all about what intergenerational trauma is. That's a mouthful. My goodness we're going to talk about the benefits of doing that work and what it can open up for you to do that work. And just a little kind of tidbit to give you now, everybody should be doing this work. Every single person should be looking at their intergenerational trauma. And trauma is not necessarily these big, huge things that have happened to you or someone in your family lineage. It is just little things of somebody just doing something that made them feel unsafe, and so consequently, our brain develops a wire around that, and Joanna will go into more detail about it. Um, Such a fascinating interview. Oh my gosh, I had so many questions. You'll kind of hear me ask all the questions on this interview, and we kind of go to different places. We talk about marriage and how it impacts that, and how it impacts our parenting, and goodness, so many things, but just to give you a little more information about Joanna, So she has a background in sociology, psychology, with a social arts and sciences degree. Um, She has multiple different certifications, and her big thing is obviously inherited trauma or this intergenerational trauma thing we're talking about. And um, she also has an institute, the Family Imprint Institute, where she's training other therapists and coaches on these principles. And this is actually some training that I'm going to be doing and adding to my programs within this next year or so. So exciting stuff. And Joanna knows her stuff. She has a beautiful energy. She's just very grounded and peaceful in the way that she speaks. I really hope you love this interview as much as I do. So without further ado, here's my interview with the beautiful Joanna Lynn. Joanna, it is such a pleasure and a gift to have you on this podcast today. I told the listeners how I found you about a year ago on just randomly listening to another podcast and despite listening to many podcast episodes with many guests throughout the year, You were somebody who stuck out in my mind tremendously last year, and I always just thought, one day I'm going to have her on the podcast. And just about a month ago, I just had this feeling of, it's time, reach out to her so she'll come on, and I'm thrilled that you're here today. So thank you for being here.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure, Lindsay. Thank you.
0: Well, I want to start with going right to the heart of the matter of what we're talking about today, and that's intergenerational trauma. So can you explain to everyone what intergenerational trauma is?
1: Absolutely. So as life begins, none of us arrive with a clean hard drive. We could think about it like we're sharing an operating system with our parents and even our grandparents. And so it's really looked at... As the family story, it it resides in us. You know, the good and the bad, like it or not, it's a part of us. And it's super well known that we inherit our physical traits from our parents. But what's much less known is that we also inherit their emotional patterns.
0: Yeah, so kind of tell us where this research has come from, Joanna, to show this.
1: So it's come from many different places. One of my favorite uh, researchers, her name is Rachel Yehuda, and she was doing a study on the descendants of Holocaust survivors. And what surprised her in her research were they were showing many of the same stress markers in their brain as if they had been a part of the holocaust themselves and so it's really started more understanding of epigenetics and how intergenerationally things are carried It's as if we're born prepared to deal with the strains and the stressors and the traumas that our parents and grandparents lived before. And I really view this as, you know, the intelligence of our body, this sense of we're not going to be caught unprepared. You know, we were sort of learning and we're sharing that learning with our parents and our grandparents. But where we get into trouble with that. Is, you know, we may be living in upstate Connecticut and everything's abundant and safe and beautiful, and we live with this hypervigilance in the body because maybe our grandfather was a prisoner of war or our grandmother grew up with a lot of poverty. And it doesn't seem to matter how much positive thinking we do or, you know, the reality feels safe and, and, and prosperous, but yet how we feel inside can't be separate from what lives in our family tree.
0: It's fascinating, isn't it? Mm, it
1: really it's really sur-
0: survival mechanisms, right? Yes. Yeah. So let's go back to the term intergenerational trauma for a second. You and I were just talking before we hit record on this about the word trauma and how some mm-hmm. people think, well, it's got to be these huge things like a Holocaust prisoner of war, a, a severe abuse that's happened for it to be considered trauma. But kind of tell us what trauma really means.
1: Mm. For many of us, trauma can be a very intense experience where in more of an everyday occurrence, you know, um, mom went back to work developmentally before we were ready to be separated. Um, Mom potentially lost a child before we were born or after we were born. And so when we look to her, we're seeing a lot of her sadness and her trying to process this loss. many of the times it can simply be a, a space and experience where we have stopped feeling safe and it can really live, leave its residue in the body.
0: Yeah. I see a lot with my clients. I don't know if you see this too, is school experiences, even just oh, a yeah. little bit of bullying, not even severe stuff or things that happened academically. Would you consider that trauma?
1: Well, I think a lot of it is how well we bring that experience home and if mom and dad take it seriously, if we feel acknowledged and heard, or if we were really hurt by a teacher or, you know, somebody in the schoolyard and the the sentiment at home is, oh, you know, strengthen up or that's not a big deal. And so it can lodge more as a trauma in the body when we feel we don't have the resources or we don't have mom and dad at our back to deal with where we feel really overwhelmed with whatever life is serving up to us. Yeah. So again, it goes back to our parents and those instances. A lot of the times mm-hmm. it does. Yeah. I think it can make or break the situations that life shows us out there in the world. Yeah. So
0: can we go back to the science piece? <laughs> we have a lot of science lovers in the that are listeners, including myself, Joanna. And you said there's been a study about Holocaust survivors. Do you know of any other studies that you're aware of where this is proving to be true, that intergenerational trauma is something that's happening?
1: Oh, yeah, there are countless. And so we are actually, if we could go back to the most, I guess, replicated study in all of epigenetics, um, where we're looking at mice, because mice really um, move through the generations much more quickly than people do. So we're seeing in a much shorter of time, the certain effects and how they show up um, across generations. And so in this study, they took baby mice and separated them from their moms. And we're seeing these patterns of broken attachment that are seen throughout three generations. It's quite remarkable to notice the gene expression and how it changes based on these limited um, separations. And sometimes it's only a few hours a day um, for the first two weeks of life. And we're seeing the same expression show up across generations. It's quite remarkable. Wow. It makes me want to cry almost to think
0: about those mice. Oh my goodness. And if you think about all the species on the planet and Mm -hmm. they're going through experiences like that, I mean, it just shows how so many of us are dealing with this intergenerational trauma. Well, absolutely. you, you mentioned in that Joanna, it goes back three generations that they're showing with mice. Is that what
1: they're showing with humans as well? So in the scientific studies, we've only looked or focused on three generations back. And there are different, um, you know, models of thought that talk about seven generations back and, and even further than that. But I tell you, Lindsay, when I work with clients, I'm building a three-generation geneogram, and there is more than enough material just right there. And I tend to stick really close to the science. And so in order to serve my client best, I can just really stick within those three generations and we can accomplish everything we need with that
0: yeah so tell us more about this geneogram what is that like
1: So when I'm working with a client, perhaps they're coming to see me because, you know, they're worried about their teen child um, becoming distant or their marriage is on the rocks or they have a health concern. I only give that example because nobody comes into my office and sits down and says, I want to look at my intergenerational trauma. You know, this is, (laughs) this is not the language we use. And yet, By building out the geneogram, I'm able to look at patterns. And so a really common one uh, might be, okay, my marriage is in trouble. We've been married 11 years. And I look and mom and dad separated around the same age. So we're sometimes seeing an echo of the past. Or I might say, I use something called the core language approach, and so I'm looking for something called core descriptors, the way we express our problem, the way we describe our parents. And so maybe I ask the client, tell me about your dad. You know, was he cold and critical, or was he more warm and loving? And she'll give me a list of adjectives that perhaps he was, you know, cold and shut down. Um, He was always at work. And then I go and I say, okay, so what's really going on in your marriage? What are you finding most challenging? Well, he's always at work. He prioritizes that. When we get into an argument, he shuts down or he gets very critical. What I'm noticing is a mirror effect what we really blame or feel still hurt about with one of our parents, we're going to end up replaying that in our marriage. And we can see straight away, oh, wow, this isn't a relationship problem any longer. We've got to really look at integrating how I'm storing or how I'm living this relationship with my parent because it just goes on to be repeated otherwise. Yeah.
0: So how much of that, though, Joanna, is environment
1: versus biology Hmm, Great question. It's one of those what comes first the chicken or the egg, right? Right. Yeah Yeah, so all of us are so steeped in our environment That I believe and we were seeing a lot of scientists show this that this now becomes what triggers certain genes to express in certain ways What changes that gene expression is our environment, and so, if we have a precursor to certain disorders in the body and we live in a home that's full of anger and criticism and strife, we may in fact be turning on some of those genes by, you know, living under those conditions. And so, it, it's one of those, it really depends which way you look at the science in order to answer that question.
0: Yeah. So, in essence, what I'm hearing is. So say if we have this wire in our brain of intergenerational trauma or whatever we're going to call it, Mm -hmm. and it's around um, feeling safe and secure around critical people, and then Mm -hmm. you're around a critical person that may ignite in your brain and say, hey, this is how you need to handle it based off past generations. Is that what
1: I'm hearing, Joanna? Yeah, it's almost as if we go back to that child part of ourselves that needs to defend or that needs to maybe move into people-pleasing just to stop the criticism. And so a lot of the times I'll find myself saying to my clients, notice where you lose yourself with your boss, with your parent, with your spouse, where do you feel I can no longer be my authentic self because I go into more of a reactive stance that is very much connected to how we maybe survive the situation as a child? So if we had a highly critical parent and we just want to avoid that, we might even Be more finely attuned. Oh, my spouse's face is looking a little, you know, irritated and crunched up. What can I do to soften things? And we begin to sidestep important conversations that perhaps we need to have to have the relationship feel healthy. And we don't know why that is. We're not... We're not seeing what's behind the scenes. And so what I've come to appreciate so much about this work is that it really has the big picture in mind always. And this is how we can get out of taking things personally. This is how we can get out of habitual patterns and habits we wish to become free of. Um, It's really a roadmap to our own freedom and living life more from who we are than just those default patterns. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because so many people, I
0: guess, are just living in a state where they just think the present is the problem, but they're not seeing how the past has impacted the present. Is that what I'm hearing, Joanna,
1: from you? That's good way to say it. Yes, that's exactly right, Lindsay. A lot of the thoughts that we think are the same thoughts we had yesterday and the very same thoughts we had last week. And so we really truly are creatures of habit. And what we're including in this understanding is that it's not just our own experiences we're habituated to, but also our parents, maybe their perceptions, maybe even some of their prejudices, where they've been taught to think a certain way, this begins to become part of what informs us and so it can be a really you know it's a lot of information coming at us
0: yeah yeah and like you said it takes blame off the table because I think so many people especially the women I work with of what is what's wrong with me why do I feel this way and it's really you've been handed kind of this platter of problems that other people haven't dealt with that you may be the generation to
1: deal with it well, that's just it. You know, I'll never forget working with uh, this lawyer and he was on the cusp of bankruptcy. And so he was dealing with the shame and he was thinking, my gosh, everything was going along so well until I hit my 47th birthday. And he says, I could even tell you I made these four really sort of, I guess, now looking back, bad decisions that really turn things in this financial crisis And so we began to do the geneogram and he became more and more open, a little less frozen where shame can just kind of shut us down. And we began to look at his own father when he was 47 Unfortunately, he had had a gambling addiction, his father, and at the age of 47 lost everything. The family lost their home. Uh, This client was in the late stages of his, um, you know, teenage time, so loving his sports and, you know, all of that had to come to a halt. And so their parents' marriage came apart and dad became the bad guy. Dad became the one who made all these mistakes and nobody could count on him. He hadn't spoken to his father since this time. Now, what we know about this work is within the family, it does not allow for an exclusion. So what I mean by that, if we kick dad out because he made these series of mistakes and the family lost so much... It has a tendency to be repeated over again. And what was very, he found very astounding was he was at the exact same age that his father was when he lost it all. So, in the awareness of this repeating pattern, he was able to have. Uh, a much less shame for himself. He could see it as a larger context, a larger part of his life experience. So it made it much easier to move forward. But we also got a little window, a little opening of compassion for his dad. Because what would it mean for this client if his children closed their heart to him? because of the series of business mistakes. Yes, a a gambling addiction is different than a series of business mistakes. Mm -hmm. But man-to-man at that age, losing it all for their families has the same sort of humbling effects. And so we see these repeating realities um, unless we can open our hearts to understand them from a larger perspective.
0: Yeah, so Joanna, a question for you on that. So I understand how intergenerational trauma goes from a, in essence, a mother to a child Mm -hmm. in, in utero, right? Yes. Building all those brain wires in her body. Mm -hmm. But in this case with this lawyer, he was already born. Mm -hmm. And then his father experienced something that how would he, was it just then a behavioral pattern that he was um, replicating or was that considered intergenerational trauma in regards to biology?
1: Got it. So biologically, the imprint that happens is very much at the cellular level. So chromosomally, biologically, we are half our mom and half our dad. We carry half, you know, in each egg and sperm to become us. And so that's an element of the biology and its impact. Now we go forward into our environment, how we're raised, what we observe, what we see happen. And there are four ways that our life force gets diminished. And in this case with the lawyer, the life force that we were looking at being diminished was the rejection of his dad. If we reject our parent for even good reasons, you know, this is a pretty darn good reason dad lost all the money, his life changed, and yet. If we close our heart to a parent, we can end up living life like the same way that they, almost we can carry the same pain that we judge them for. And so it happens twofold, biologically and also based on relationships. So relationally and epigenetically.
0: Wow. Okay. I'm just digesting that for a second. So how do we know then that we've closed our heart to a parent? Because I encounter so many people who Mm -hmm. say, yes, my parent did X, Y, Z. However, I've forgiven them and you know, I've made peace with that.
1: (laughs) So (laughs) Lindsay, I have a whole workshop called The Myth of Forgiveness because I hear this so often too. And so if we have in fact forgiven our parents, we wouldn't be living a situation like, what the lawyer is if we go back to that case study. Mm -hmm. So the why I call it the forgiveness myth is what's much more powerful words, even bigger than I forgive, is moving towards I understand. And so if I go back to the geneagram of this lawyer, what had happened to this father as a young boy was dad was never around. He actually ended up leaving the family and they had very little money, very little choice being raised as a single mom. Um, And so to him, the gambling gave that dopamine hit of I'm going to make it. I'll have all the choices. I'm never again going to be in poverty. And yet it swung to the very other spectrum. And so a lot of the times what lives in our family history may drive certain addictions and this feeling of, if we can really step into this lawyer's father's shoes and the client lawyer could look at his father and say, no wonder you were chasing the money. There was never enough when you were growing up and without your dad there to model um, what it might be to be a good provider, what it might be to be lit up and passionate and fulfilled about your work, you found a very off-the-rails off the, off the rails way. And so the I understand is something that generates compassion, that opens, that can open something. Where I forgive actually might sometimes put us above our parent. So this place of, you know, um, I'm better because I found a way to forgive. It doesn't open anything. It keeps things sort of static and we're sort of over there away from our parent and we still don't have that love flowing. Hmm.
0: So if we're saying I understand and we're seeing the patterns of that, Mm -hmm. is that then saying that we're opening ourselves back up to that parent, even if we don't have a relationship with them?
1: What a great distinction. There's a lot of my clients who, you know, just have not been in contact with their parents for, for a variety of reasons. And the very best step that we can do is begin to shift the way we carry that relationship inside of us. And so we know through neuroscience that we can do all kinds of shifts internally, and that has a great effect on our stress response, on all kinds of the internal workings of our body. And so I've seen time and time again that it is more than enough to begin to work internally with how you hold that, to become free of the hurt, to really strongly move into the I understand so we're not taking it personally. We're trying to look at you know, what's behind mom's criticism or why was dad so quick to anger so that we can step out of taking it personally and then some healing can happen.
0: Yes. Okay. Got it. Got it. I hope everyone out there listening has got it because I am following this for sure. (laughs) So what have you found and what has science found as the biggest benefits of finding and healing your intergenerational trauma?
1: Well, I think the primary piece is we get to be much more authentically us. We're not, you know, in reaction to, um, you know, this place where we didn't get enough love in the family, or we're not, like that lawyer case, set to replicate something that happened with one of our parents. We're much more free to make our own decisions, and we have a much more clarity inside of ourselves for what's right for us. We're not lost in people-pleasing. We've got healthy boundaries. We're really grounded in our own choices and moving forward in the direction that we choose instead of what's on this this pattern repeating phase.
0: Yeah. How can someone know if they're their authentic self or not, Joanna? How would you describe that?
1: Hmm. I suppose... There's a sense of resonance with your decisions. There's a um, feeling at home with yourself, with your own choices. Um, I think a big clue is if you find yourself with a decision and you think, "Let me go ask seven of my friends, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to take a poll on you know <laughs> who thinks you know we 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 know we're in hot water if we're reaching out to ask other people what they think we should do." Yes. And so that place of really knowing ourselves might look like, you know what, friend, let me sit with that. Let me think about that and let me get back to you. We give ourselves enough time to really be with that decision and we can find our own internal yes or have the courage to express a no if that what what comes up.
0: Yeah, we know ourselves enough to to get where we need to, to go to find what is what it is that we want. I can't even say it, but yes. I mean, it it is so hard to describe though, because I encounter people all the time who ask what I do and they don't really understand coaching. And, um, I try and explain it to them. I say, well, it's just, I, I primarily work with women who are seeking a deeper fulfillment. And I think some of them get this look of, am I fulfilled? I'm not quite sure. Mm, you're
1: like, how do I know when I'm there? Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course I use the terms like authentic self, but I think some people just still look at that of, I don't quite understand that. So I love how you said about the decision-making because I do encounter a lot of women who they are, they're asking a million and one people to make a decision or they go back and forth about, should I even sign up for coaching? Or they have trouble standing mm -hmm. up to their parents or their partner or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you're just- I was just going to add
1: to that, that how could anyone else know what the right decision for you is? Even your spouse, who likely wants the best for you and loves you and wants to support you, but even you and your spouse, probably the most intimate, close person, you each come from different life experiences, from different families, and so it can be a great, a courageous thing to step into, I've got to sit with this decision until I know what's right for me and not putting that off on a friend or even a a therapist or whomever, but to find that truth for you.
0: Yeah. So this could be a whole nother topic, Joanna, but it is a lot trickier when you are in a committed relationship or married to bring all your kind of beliefs and traumas and all of that into the equation and try and move forward collectively as a couple and Mm. make decisions. Do you work with couples at all and have them both sit down and do their geneogram and all of that?
1: I sure do. So, well over 80% of what goes on in a relationship has to do with each other's family of origin. And so, if a couple wants to sit down, often they want to, you know, dive into he said this and she does this. And, you know, it's this litany of complaints. And if I let that go on, I'm more of a referee than really being of service to them. And so the first step is to really build each other's geneogram so I can understand the tension, the even the repetitive arguments, how they actually make a lot of sense. And nine times out of 10, this is not a marriage issue. This has to do with the repair work that's needed for each other in their family of origin. And so that work goes on first and the relationship takes on a whole new frame of reference. It's, it's such, I love working with couples. It's beautiful. Yeah. Okay,
0: so total side note question there too. When you say eighty percent of it is coming from our family of origin, in essence,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what is that other twenty percent coming from?
1: I think it can really be um, difference in communication styles, uh, different in attachment patterns. You know, do we come from a securely attached place? Are we more insecure? Um, it can be, you know, the, the simple things of: Am I introverted? Am I extroverted? The the friendship and social needs may differ inside that relationship. Um, And so some of those things, they're very important, um, but they're easier to negotiate than some of those deeper, more fundamental pieces.
0: Yeah. Okay. My mind's just spinning. And I want to ask you, you know, working with couples, at what point would you say that somebody should break up versus this is just something we can heal, be it attachment style or intergenerational trauma.
1: What would you say to that, Joanna? Oh, that's every couple's own decision. I'm, I'm really there as a, as a facilitator to look at the larger picture. And a big part of the training that I do with clinicians and coaches is that we as the facilitator take the very last place. Mm -hmm. So meaning my clients, their parents, they have first place and um, I'm here to shine some light on some dynamics and then the, the couple has to take that home and decide, does this feel healthy? Are we on the right track? Can we improve things? What are we modeling to our children? If our marriage is, you know, for the last 10 years, it's been this, are we willing to let that go on for the next 10 years are we capable of really loving each other differently? And so those are some of the questions that maybe sort of opened up in our, in our time together and they take home and, and really decide.
0: I love that answer. And it goes back to what you have said earlier about when you're in that authentic self, you can make decisions from that place of where to move forward and making those decisions where it feels good. To move forward in that direction.
1: Exactly. Because we could take that same example and we go when we talk to our girlfriend, Sally, whose father had a series of affairs. What do you think Sally's advice is going to be of if you should leave that marriage or not? And then we go and we talk to your friend, Heather, whose dad is this amazing, loving person. And Heather's advice is, oh, you've got to work it out. There's got to be a way. And now you, the person, are even that much more confused because you've diluted your own inner knowing by asking people who really, in all due respect, don't have any, they don't belong in your marriage. It's a very sacred place that's rich with learning. And sometimes we have to be in that I don't know place that can be very uncomfortable, but to look at all of the different moving parts. Yes. Yes.
0: And it's not just they don't need to be in your marriage. They don't really need to be in your life in a way of giving you life advice. Right. And and instead, you need someone who can hold space and teach you tools of here's how to find the right answers for you. Would you agree, Joanna? I
1: love it. That's yeah. even more succinct. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, Joanna, a couple more questions for you as we wrap this up. I know that you work heavily with your clients on finding their intergenerational trauma among many other things, mm-hmm. but what could somebody do today to start to understand their own intergenerational trauma?
1: There are some really key questions. And so some of your listeners could just ask these questions for themselves in their own history. Um, so a primary one is, did something stressful happen while your mom was pregnant with you, while she was carrying you? Now, when we look at that epigenetically, we could even go as far back as grandma, because when grandma was five months pregnant with mom, all the eggs that mom would ever carry are being built in grandma's womb. And so this imagining, you know, was grandma Feeling happy? Was grandma loved and supported? What was going on in grandma and grandpa's marriage? And some of us don't have access to that information. But it's enough to know that the imprint that starts in the little egg that is us is all of those years ago. And then, if mom has something super stressful, you know, she loses her job, or there's all kinds of stress going on between mom and dad, or um, somebody gets a scary diagnosis in the family, and her attunement is pulled away from you in utero, this has all kinds of compromising effects on um, how loved and and welcomed we feel. This can all be um, worked with. This is not a life sentence by any means, but there is an exceptional documentary called In Utero that goes into great depth on this uh, very question. And actually, Rachel Yehuda, that, that scientist I brought up a little earlier, is one of the featured guests on the documentary. Your listeners might like to take this topic a little further and watch that.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to watch it. I haven't even heard of it. That's so exciting. Mm -hmm.
1: It's a few years old now. It's great. Yeah. Um, Another question to look at in your own family history is, has there been anybody excluded from my family? So if we go back to that example with the lawyer who dad was excluded, there was so much pain, there was so much loss that if we have somebody that's excluded we're very bound to have that repeated in a similar way. So, if it's, it could be with us, the the, the um, child of that father, or it could be our children. For whatever reason, Lindsay, sometimes it can skip a generation. Its expression. So, maybe if this lawyer, as if we go back to that example, maybe he never speaks to his dad again, but it's enough for him to do the work to no longer hold him with such uh, disdain to come to this place of, I understand dad. And then he's able to repair his own life and his children are less likely to crash and burn financially at the age of 47. Hmm. Yeah, um, yeah.
0: My mind just spinning on so many things <laughs> I want to ask you. <laughs> Go ahead. That's what we're here for. Well, I think my next question is, and this is something I've, I've wondered now, and you've brought it to light by talking today, is I did a lot of work after I had my daughter, a lot of mental work and with coaching and things of that sort.
1: Mm-hmm. And I,
0: I wonder, because she was born before I did that work, I have passed on to her probably the genetics of before that work. Correct, Joanna?
1: Well, here's another element. So how we attune to our child. So if only we could cherry pick the good stuff to pass along to our children. But it doesn't work that way. They get a, they get a wide variety of the good and the bad. And so what begins to shift the way maybe let's say um, anxiety might be shared between mother and child as an example. So now we've done our own personal work and our child is, I don't know, three, four, five years old and even older. But the way that we parent that child, coming from a place of calm, coming from a place of trust in in the world, looking at where they may be expressing anxiety and getting right down to eye level with them and saying, oh, sweetheart, I know that pulse in the body and I want to share with you what's worked for me. Let's breathe together right where that nervousness starts from deep in your belly. Is that your heart racing? Let's slow down our breath. And so our ability to pick up what we once knew in our child to offer some, um, I guess, techniques to help them through it, but the awareness that as we work on ourselves, it's like we take more and more bricks off of our children's shoulders, that they're lighter and lighter and they're less likely to carry forward what's ours. Yes,
0: I love that. And I see that. in in the light now, as you say that, because I see old patterns of myself and my daughter, especially around anxiety and people pleasing even. And I'm able to explain to her, here's how we work through it. And so Mm -hmm. she's not carrying on these big patterns anymore because I can teach her, here's how it works through it. Here's how you can't. Is that what I'm
1: hearing, Joanna? That's it. And I think when our children observe us, let's say establishing a boundary, you know, even if it's with grandma or auntie, you know, they, they, they see that modeled. Then they begin to pick that up. And it's some of the best learning that we can offer them. And so I think we teach our children boundaries and self regulation and all of these beautiful parts of, you know, having life go a little easier if we've got these pieces in us that we can model that to them. And that makes a huge difference. Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh. I love this topic so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's endlessly fascinating. It I love is. it too. It is. It's fascinating. I love the science piece of it, of course. Um, and Joanna, you have you just you articulate it all so well. Thank you for taking the time to explain this to us. And I know this is just the tip of the iceberg today. We're just trying to create awareness in everyone of, Hey, this is a thing. If you are feeling these ways, you know, here's a way that you can start to heal that. So Joanna, can you kind of explain to us, you know, if someone is feeling that call to reach out to you where they can find you and what the next steps may be?
1: Yes, absolutely. So you're more than welcome to visit my site. I've written lots of articles and there's a few different interviews on there, just like yours, Lindsay, that they can tune in and listen. It's www.joannalin.ca. And you can find me on Instagram under the Family Imprint Institute. That's the name of my institute. I My favorite part of what I do is teaching clinicians and coaches how to bring this work into the way that they serve clients. And then, of course, I have my private practice so I work internationally on zoom and it's so nice to bring this work Um, there's no barriers it's whoever is open to do it we can certainly find a way
0: yeah and if somebody is feeling that inkling of maybe they should work with you Joanna kind of explain to them what you could give them as you Mm -hmm. work with them
1: yeah so um, all of my sessions are in 90-minute blocks, because I love the ability to do that deep dive work. And so the first session, maybe about a third of it, we're going to go through your map of the world, building out that three-generation geneocram. And then as soon as I have your complaints, your language, your relationships and where love flows and maybe where it's gotten tangled up over the years. We can then move directly into resolution. And so what I've come to appreciate about this work is it's very experiential because it's one thing to understand, you know, certain concepts in the mind, but we really have to get that down into the body for real change to take place. And so right from the very first session, we go into experiential applications of the work. And it's, it's just quite remarkable. I have to say, typically, I work with clients for about three sessions, and we come to a place of resolution. So it's very different than talk therapy or perhaps what many of your listeners have tried before.
0: Wow. In three sessions, Joanna? Mm-hmm. That's,
1: that's typical. There are certainly people who need more, and of course, depending on what they're coming for, but that's very typical, three Wow. I love it. And what you do
0: is such a compliment to what I do. So anyone out there listening, Joanna is, is just taking a lot of the elements of what I've done, but doing it in a different way and especially incorporating more body into that. Um, So I highly encourage if you are feeling called to go out and reach out to her. Um, I have followed her for about a year now and just incredible content she's putting out there. And Joanna and I are even talking about me going through her training programs because I just I love what she does. So you're going to get incredible value from her. Please go reach out to her. Um, So Joanna, thank you for being here, sharing all your wisdom with us. We are all so appreciative. Oh, it's such uh, a
1: pleasure, Lindsay. Thank you so much for the invitation. Oh,
0: of course. And um, I can't wait to see all the ahas that are opening up from this episode today. So thank you again.
1: Wonderful. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for joining me on this episode of Become an Unstoppable Woman. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you get new episodes every Monday. And I'd love it if you left a review for the show too, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. If you want even more from the show, come join the conversation online in my community. Each week, we break down the episode and you have a private space to ask your questions. To join, go to Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y, ePreston.com forward slash community. And if you feel like you're really ready to change your life, let's work together in my coaching programs. I have a free assessment that's the first step to seeing if we're a good fit. Just go to Lindsay, forward slash assessment to take it now. Thanks again for tuning into the show today. I'm so grateful you're here and I'll see you next time. But until we meet again, remember, my friend, you're only as unstoppable as you believe you can be. So believe in yourself. You got this.